With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can I be successful without being a jerk? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, check out the lyrics. Remember this song. All right, you know, I usually come in and talk over that a little bit, but I got a point I want to make with that. You know, there's some new research that suggests that that song stuck in your head helps your brain with long-term memory. We've been using that song for a very long time, Taking Care of Business. Now, I suspect that if you're walking through a mall and you hear that come over the sound system, you think of not only that great old song, but maybe 48 Days Podcast. I mean, there's a lot of things I connect to the song that we hear like that. And research is showing that's a good thing. If you connect a song, it helps you remember maybe important events associated with that. Now, certainly there's a lot of kind of random things maybe you associate with songs, but they're doing a lot of research right now, even with people with like dementia and Alzheimer's, helping them connect things in their memory because of songs connected to that. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. I love the idea that we use a song that has become kind of connected with the podcast, Taking Care of Business, written back in 1973 or released then, Bachman Turner Overdrive. That's what we do here every week, taking care of business, talking about ideas that you have that you may want to develop into a business. And today's no exception. Got some really great questions here I want to unpack. Somebody says, can a naturally shy person that might not fit the profile for your typical leader truly lead from a loving and caring attitude? I love the question. We're going to give you some encouraging information, regardless of what your personality is. So if you're shy and introverted, and we got some great news for you. If you're strong and domineering and opinionated, hey, great news for you too. Anybody can be successful. Well, another question, cars are my passion. What can I do with that? Well, me being a car guy, I got some ideas for you. Somebody says, I'm ready to start writing for profit. Um, 
Yeah, we need to spend a little time on that one. I'm ready to start writing for profit. That's like saying I'm ready to breathe today and I want to get paid for it. Well, we can give it a little more direction than that. We'll look at that. Dan, I've been thinking of doing a lawn care business. I need a good work truck and I need help and support in getting it started. All right. We'll look at that. I got a lot of comments. I want to spend a significant amount of time on two of those questions in particular, the one about personality and the one about writing. So stick around. We're going to dig into those. Quotation today comes from Cyrus Webb, who said, sometimes we find ourselves in a prison of our own making, not realizing that the key to our freedom has been there the entire time. Well, that is so, so true. Got a, just a news item here that somebody sent to me. In the month of April, just this year, there were 649,000 people who quit their jobs in retail. Now, this is a growing phenomenon, and nobody sees an easy solution to it. But you know, as places open up, you're going to places, and they say, oh, wow, you know, we can't help you right now because we only have one person working or we had three people that didn't show up today. You know, it, it's it's a challenge. I mean, restaurants are just being hammered with this. You walk in, we stopped when we were traveling the other day, and we stopped in to get lunch. We were there before they opened, and I said, this place can't be open. And it was supposed to open like at 1130, and we were there about five minutes ahead. And I said, there's not enough cars in the parking lot to staff this place. Well, there were like three, and yes, they did open the doors. And what happened is they had eight tables in a little cluster. Now, this is a big, big restaurant. I won't give you the name of it, but it's a big, well-known restaurant. But they had eight tables in a little, and that's where they sat people. And then as people came more than that, they said, well, the wait is going to be like an hour and 15 minutes. And people look around, the place is empty. Well, we don't have servers. I don't don't have easy answers for that, but I see people that are doing creative things. There was a new Ford's restaurant, that Ford's Garage, they actually call them, Ford's Garage, that opened just near us here at the University Mall just a couple weeks ago. We were there on the second day after they opened. Just a a bustling place. I, I love you know, the theme again being a car theme, they have an old Model A Ford out front, one hanging from the ceiling inside. All the waitresses are wearing mechanic shirts with their names on them like mechanics do. And then your napkins are grease rags that are rolled up inside of a, a, a clamp like you use on a radiator clamp. Well, anyway, a lot of cool things. But I noticed before they opened, they were promoting heavily in the area here that they were paying $20 an hour to start with a $2,000 sign-on bonus. Well, that's pretty cool, and that's a little different than what restaurants have been doing. So some of them are figuring out what it takes. Now, is that going to be reflected in higher meal prices? Yeah, probably so, but uh, people will adapt. But just a real challenge. Obviously, if you want a job, you can go get a job this afternoon. You can get three job offers. I mean, I talked to a place the other day, and they said their biggest challenge is they'll interview you know, four people, hire all of them, and the first day of work, only one shows up. Because they just went on down the street and got a little better offer somewhere else. It's impossible to get people to show up for just these starting wage hourly jobs. So you got creative solutions. I'd love to hear them. Golly, I'm not sure how we're going to adapt to this, but 649,000 people quit jobs that they had. So it's certainly easy to get them, but um, hard for merchants to keep people at that rate. 
Well, Zach says in a recent podcast, you mentioned questions you like to ask people and that you keep such a list with you for use in places like with the waitress when you go to dinner. I was unable to find the specific podcast episode. Would like to know if you have this list available to the public. Well, no, I don't, Zach, but I can't. It, it is now. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put some ideas. I'll put, you know, eight or 10 ideas in the show notes where you can just go look. But these are the kind of things that I have, and I do have them. I have them on my phone so I can prompt my thinking if I want something to ask of somebody. I usually don't have any problem, you know, asking somebody if they are a waitress or I run into them in some kind of a, you know, unexpected encounter where it's just, well, well, like just yesterday, we had somebody coming to clean out the gutters at our house. You know, they're open gutters, and over time, they get leaves in there, and I wanted them cleaned out. Had a young guy come, shows up. So he's just here to clean the gutters. Boom, nothing. But I started talking to him, and I saw as he got his ladder off the truck and was getting ready to go start his work, he popped some earbuds in. And I said, hey, what do you listen to when you're working? I mean, that's a pretty non-invasive question. What do you listen to when you're working? He said, oh, I love podcasts. I said, really? I said, I love podcasts too. I said, when I go walk in in the morning, I always listen to podcasts. I said, what do you listen to? He said, oh, I listen to, you know, spirituality, health, music, really love music, you know, business things. I said, man, I said, when I pull up my phone, I have a hard time choosing. There's so many great podcasts. I said, here's my podcast feed. And I opened my phone and just showed him. And I said, of course, here's my podcast. Well, he looked at it and it was good. The graphic of course, for 48 days to the work you love. He says, wait a minute. He says, no way. You're that Dan Meller. Now this guy's 30 years old, has his own business he and his brother and brother-in-law. He says when he was 18 years old, his brother gave him a copy of 48 days to the work you love. And that's what put him on the path to now have a very successful business. Well, I'm gratified by that. What a cool encounter. Of course, I gave him a brand new copy. What he has is very old of would have been what would have been the very first edition of it. And now in its 20th anniversary edition. So I was happy to do that. But just those kind of questions oftentimes lead to things. Now, certainly not always come back connected to me in that direct way, but just questions just to make interesting conversation instead of just, you know, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. End of story. So here's some of the questions that I do ask. What does this job make possible for you? What do you want people to know about you? You know, I like that at Famous Dave's, which is a really great barbecue restaurant that we used to go to up in Nashville a lot. They are required to be able to answer the question, what are you famous for? They work at Famous Dave's, so every person who works there is famous. So you ask them, and they have to have a story to tell you. And we've heard some great stories from people there. What are you famous for? What do you? So I ask, you know, what do you want people to know about you? What are you dreaming about that you haven't done yet? Is there a dream in your life you've given up on? What have you done that has limited your success over the last six months? What has brought you the most happiness over the last six months? What do you think the purpose of your life is? Tell me what other people think of you. Or this one, of course, you heard me talk about. If we were meeting three years from today, what has to have happened during that three-year period for you to feel happy about your progress? So I'll put those in the in the show notes. I'll just put a list of them there. If you go to 48days.com, now if you, you can't get them through your podcast feed, if you're on Apple or Stitcher or something like that, but if you go to the 48days.com website, just open a podcast, I'll have Sheila put those in there so you can create those, add to them, make your own list. You know, I'm going through a course right now 
Um, it's called 100 Cups Academy. It's a really great concept. Jason Elkins, young guy who put it together, lost his job. And uh, he thought, well, I want to pick the brains of some people that may be able to give me leads or even potentially, you know, hire me. And so he started having coffee with people. Just ask him to coffee. Well, it was so productive. He had all of the above. I mean, he had people who wanted to hire him, people who wanted to just give him business, people who had leads for him. It was so successful that he never got a job, never took a job. He just now teaches other people how to use this 100 Cups Academy strategy. Now, I'm going through a course. It's a course through Tennessee State Business Development Center. I'm going through that course. I'll be finished shortly, and maybe I'll dedicate one of the podcast episodes to just that, using the 100 Cups strategy. But that's another way. You don't have interesting questions that you can ask people. I have a series of questions. One of the steps we have in 48 Days to the Work You Love is day 47, take a millionaire to lunch. And I have people asking me, what would I ask a millionaire? So I have a list of questions to ask somebody who's already very successful. Another list that we could probably add as well. Anyway, thanks for your question, Zach. Michael says, I'm a longtime Eagles member, podcast follower. I have a shout out and a question related to it. I was in an Eagles Nest group in May with Marianne Renner, leading on mindset. It was about overcoming limiting beliefs, which she helped me rethink one of mine. I want to have my own business and help others, but I don't possess that dominant take charge personality. I'm always the caring, nurturing one on the personality test and score low on the take charge traits. Marianne was an incredible leader for this group, and she's a corporate coach, leader, speaker to big companies, but it was all done with love and humility. You can tell that she honestly cares and does it through her caring for those she is helping or working with. My question, Michael says, is can a naturally shy person that might not fit the profile for your typical leader truly lead from a loving and caring attitude? I sometimes feel like I'm not the business owner potential because I don't have that corporate America attitude. I want to help others. And I think I can be a great leader, but I don't have such a dominant personality. Love everything you're doing with the 48 Days Eagles, Mike. Man, thanks, Mike. That, that is so well articulated and represents such a common issue. I'm not that hard driving in your face, opinionated, high pressure kind of salesperson. Is there any chance for me to be successful in a business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned Marianne Renner. Marianne Renner, I pulled up her personality profile. Now, we talk about personality profiles here. We use the DISC terminology primarily, D-I-S-N-C, D being dominance, I being influencing, S being then steady, and C, compliant. So the D and the I very much out there in front, go get them, hard driving, the S and the C, more behind the scenes, shy, introverted, nurturing, caring, good listeners, compassionate, those kind of skills. Guess what Marianne is in her profile? Her D and I are below the midline. She comes way up on S, which is the one, just as you're describing here, Michael, in your question, nurturing, caring, compassionate, loving. And believe me, those characteristics describe Marianne. I know her very well. She went through our coaching mastery program, and we help position her for the kind of things that she's doing today. You can be that person, absolutely. Now, you look at what she's doing. I mean, she's in the corporate environment. 
you know, she's not out here knocking on doors, you know, and just, you know, doing that kind of typical selling. But word spreads. She gets calls because she's so effective at doing corporate leadership workshops and seminars. And she's done extremely well with that. Let me give you one more answer or one more example here. Also, a lady who just completed her coaching mastery program, her name is Colleen Law. She has a PhD in Oh, it's in like education. It's some form of education, her PhD. But she focused her coaching very, very specifically on people who were having trouble finishing their master's thesis or their doctoral dissertation. Now, I didn't know this. I didn't realize that there was such a drop-off rate in graduate programs. I thought that once somebody got to that level, they must be really highly motivated, disciplined. They're ready to invest the time money and energy to complete another degree. No, only about 50% of people who enter higher graduate degree programs actually finish them. And for a lot of them, it's because they have trouble getting the thesis together or the dissertation. Colleen focuses on just that. She came into our coaching program and she rocked through it at an amazing speed. I mean, I think it took her like four months to complete the, the whole program. She now has absolute full schedule. She has 18 clients that she's working with who have all paid either three or $5,000. She's creating a course to teach other people to do what she does. That course will be at $5,000 per course. And we're projecting for next year, 25 sales that will generate $125,000. And with her income and things that she has in place at this point, she has a very clear method of marketing. It's just really, really beautiful how she's bringing in new prospects, more, way more than she can possibly work with. That's why we're looking at ways for her to expand her ability to help those people. But she's projecting $250,000 income in the next 12 months. Her profile, she I've got it right in front of me. Her, D, and I don't even touch the line, the midline. The only thing above the midline is, like Marianne, her S and C, somebody who we would expect to be more shy, introverted, behind the scenes. See, the, the question is not do you have to remake you know, how God has made you in order to be successful? No. The question is, can you shape your business so it fits what you know about yourself? I mean, that's why we promote the, the profiles so much. So you know about yourself. Once you know about yourself, then you know exactly how to focus the business that you want to have. Now, when you say, my question is, can a naturally shy person that may not fit the profile for your typical leader truly lead from a loving and caring attitude? And then you say, I sometimes feel like I'm not the business owner because I don't have that corporate America attitude. Well, I mean, I hope that I'm known for being loving, caring, humble, kind, and compassionate, the kind of things that you're listening. I don't want to be known as someone who is harsh, opinionated, in your face, insensitive, or running over others. Now, you remember a few years ago, Jim Collins wrote the book, the very famous book, Good to Great. And he looked at why companies thrive, and he identified five levels of leadership, five being the absolute highest. These are the companies that are just absolutely super, super successful. Level five leadership. Now, here's what surprised everybody is that he describes level five leaders as being timid, shy, 
modest. Now, they're unwavering in their commitment to high standards, but some of the characteristics of level five leaders include, and I'm quoting from Jim Collins, include humility, will, ferocious resolve, and the tendency to give others credit while assigning blame to themselves. That doesn't fit what we think that corporate America standard is for that hard-driving, in-your-face kind of leader. No. Cal, I love your question, Mike. Love your question, how you framed it. Knowing what you know about yourself, now, I mean, you're 80% there because now you know how to shape a business, how to find a business that does fit you. I mean, if you look at what we do here at 48 Days, I mean, you're very familiar with that. I mean, I, I'm not out there knocking on doors or picking up the telephone. I don't do any of that. I just provide content that draws people in. The books, the podcast, the newsletter, you know, those kind of things. They let people know what we're doing. People say, wow, that's me. I want to do that. I want to do what this person that you're describing was able to do. Or, gee, you worked with my my neighbor a couple years ago, and I want to be on the same path that they're on. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I've done, but it's never been to just blast things out to the world, put up, you know, do, do the robotic calls. My gosh, the calls I'm getting right now, I have no idea how all of a sudden my number got on all these robo calls to sell you everything from, you know, long-term warranty insurance to more health care. I, I got three calls in a row just this morning, right in a row to give me the opportunity to maybe forgive all my student loans. Well, I never had any student loans. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly kind of past the time where you would expect somebody to have taken care of that. I have no idea what's prompting those, but I, I don't do any of that kind of stuff with 48 days. We don't do any of that. You can build a business very honorably with all the characteristics you're describing and honor the personality that you have. Ken says, my name is Ken. I, my car is my passion. I know that you're a also a, a true car guy. I'm retiring from GM next year and I'm looking to getting involved with automobiles in some fashion. My background includes selling broadcast airtime, working for a couple of sportswear companies as a manufacturer's rep before settling at General Motors. I also owned a body shop in, in my youth, worked part-time at Crawford Auto Aviation Museum in Cleveland as a facility rental person, special events planner while working at GM. Do you have any ideas or suggestions where I can begin to be, begin to search? There's an exotic car company in Cleveland and Beverly Hills called Marshall Goldman, and, and they really have some great vehicles. Uh, somebody suggested that I talk that I take the owner out to lunch just to talk, but I'm not sure if they would entertain the thought of someone working part-time. I'm looking forward to hearing from you, and I thank you for all you do. Well, Ken, I love that you've had a variety of experience, and I love that a lot of them involve sales. There is nothing that sets you up for success more than having a sales background, having sales skills. You can combine that skill with your passion for cars and explore a ton of opportunities. And by all means, take that owner to lunch. Do what I was just talking about, that 100 cups. Take anybody out for a cup of coffee. Take them to lunch. You know, Anybody connected with, with cars to pick their brains and get more ideas. Now, there's a whole lot of things that you can do with a car passion. I was exploring a site that somebody asked me to look at uh, just yesterday. And this young guy has created a brand for himself. 
Now the brand, it's a little, little harsh, but it's keep the bitch floored. That's his brand. He's a car guy and he's branded with that logo. He's branded sunglasses, t-shirts, headwear, stickers, patches, banners for your garage and all kinds of things like that. Just kind of an edgy saying and he's created all this merchandise around that. Last weekend, he was at a show and he did $18,000 in merchandise sales. Just created out of nothing. I mean, he doesn't really have a back-end business at all. Just created a brand based on a slogan. And now he has all these things, stickers, sunglasses, hats, and so on, that kind of promote that brand. He's a good artist is really what he is. So he's creating those things. Now, you know, I, I started Auto Appeal. This was years and years ago obviously I've been doing what I'm doing here for a long time. This is one of my, one of my early life businesses, auto appeal. And I was focused on the new car dealers, not the guy in the street, but the new car dealers where I would add pinstripes, um, door edge guards, wheel up molding. I started with those things, just the basic little package that I would do for them. And I would, you know, charge them $60 and they'd charge you know, $200 added it onto the price. So it was another profit margin for them. And, you know, back then, and even now, I mean, there's not the margin you may expect on cars. If you have an inexpensive little Ford Focus, or it may only be five or $600 profit at full retail on those little cars. So I would add things to increase the dealer margin on that. Then I added running boards, sunroofs, stereo systems, rust-proofing products. I mean, I had these big stand-up stereo displays in the showrooms where the dealers would purposely order their cars with no sound system. And then the customer could choose what they wanted. And I installed that in the cars. I mean, it was a really cool, I had a distributorship for Audiobox back then, but uh, that was one of the businesses that I had. Now we could take that. I could sit down with you and I mean, in 30 minutes, come up with a list of 20 things you could do with your car passion. I want to just kind of prime the pump, get you started thinking here, but absolutely. I mean, look for things that are already being done. Look for products that are being made where they need a distributor. I mean, I like those kind of things where nobody's doing a good job of distributing it. So you don't have to go through the manufacturing, inventing or anything. You just, and believe me, the person who makes the money is not the one making some little widget somewhere, but the person who sells it. So with your sales and marketing skills, and follow those, but follow your curiosity, Ken, follow your curiosity and develop a list of 20 things you could do with cars, explore those a little bit more based on what you know about yourself, narrow down to three or four, do a little bit more research, choose one, boom, rock and roll. Hey, let me know what you choose. Eager to hear what you select with your car passion. Well, Heidi says, I'm ready to start writing for profit. I've had this passion for many years but the time hasn't been conducive for this. I'm ready now. I bought a domain name to start a blog and send in the paperwork to be self-employed. I'm waiting for my final self-employment papers to arrive. Now, when I first read that, I thought, what the heck is that? I never heard of somebody applying to be self-employed, but she, she goes on. You'll understand in a second. Heidi says, I was told that you did a teaching for writers sometime back. I'd like to get access to that. I actually heard part of it myself. It was about it was about a guy that took Anne of Green Gables and started making money from it. All right. Now what Heidi's referring to there is a program that we have called Right to the Bank. And we used to do a live event and a lot of fun doing that, uh, helping people turn their writing into money. She says, My husband's a full-time missionary. I'm part-time. We're US citizens serving in the inner city of Winnipeg 
Canada. I would like to start with something that has a potential to give me a good boost. I'm starting out with basically next to nothing in terms of funds. I really could use some help in terms of being mentored. I would be grateful for any advice or help. Thanks, Heidi. Well, I've got good news and bad news, Heidi. When you say you're ready to start writing for profit, ooh, I cringe because I suspect you're looking to write something today and get paid for it when you turn it in tomorrow. I don't know of opportunities like that. I mean, opportunities like that, I mean, to to literally, you know, be a content creator for a website or for a publishing house or whatever. I mean, you're talking the bottom of the barrel. There's too many people who can write. And even writing well does not connect to profitability. Now here, let me just kind of frame this a little bit. I want to give you some encouragement because you you can do this if you have a realistic picture of what writing is going to lead to. I am a writer. There's nothing that I enjoy more than writing. When we go through that list of things where I'm incompetent, competent, excellent, and then zone of genius, my zone of genius, I think, is my writing. That's what I enjoy doing more than anything else. I dedicate Thursdays and Fridays to writing. I consider that like, you know, getting to the pecan pie after you ate your Brussels sprouts. That's how highly I esteem that section of my work, being able to write. So I really enjoy it. So I've written multiple books. I mean, the books out there, 48 Days to the Work You Love, New York Times bestseller, you know, No More Dreaded Mondays, Wisdom Meets Passion, Road of the Day and others. If I look at my income for 2020, and I just did it, I did it in response to this question, Heidi. If I look at my income for last year and look at the royalties that I get on all those books that I've written. So those books are out there. They're available, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, anywhere you go, you know, find books are sold. Boom, they're there. You know, I'm grateful for that. So there's books being sold. If I look at my income, less than 1% of my income was made up of royalties that I got on books that I've written. Less than 1%. Now, here's how I want you to think about this. So let's say that you want to make $100,000. All right, that'd be reasonable. That means, though, from the direct writing that I do as an established author, you would get less than $1,000. So my question to you then is, what are you going to do to generate the other $99,000? That's the thing that is sometimes surprising to writers. They think, well, I wrote a book. I'm going to make a lot of money. No. I mean, I tell people all the time, I, mean, we have, I have up-to-date stats that 95% of American authors never make more than $40,000 a year. Self-published authors, of course, it goes way down. There, the average annual earnings are around $5,000. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't, you know, a few people out there. I mean, what I've done, I mean, when I heard the stats on that, 95% never make more than $40,000 a year. My immediate thought was not, gee, I don't want to write. No, my immediate thought was, how difficult can it be to put yourself in the 5%? I want to be in that category. 
I mean, <laughs> one, of, one, of the, one of the dudes that lives in our community here is Stephen King. Yeah, you've probably heard of Stephen King. I mean, he's a prolific author. I have zero desire for the content he puts out. Horror, supernatural fiction, suspense, you know, fantasy. I, it, I've never read a Stephen King book. I have zero desire to. But he has done pretty well with that. His books have sold more than 350 million copies worldwide. I mean, he just turns that out. He doesn't have much of a life, but he um, writes a lot of books. But even there, his net worth has come not from the 350 million books sold, but from movie adaptations of those. That's where he's really made big bucks. Any author who is doing really well is making money from other applications of their content than the books being sold. I mean, the average, I mean, right now there's more than 5 million books on Kindle. There are more than 1,700 being added every single day. I mean, almost 100 an hour are being added. I mean, you can put 10 books on Kindle and nobody ever reads one. I mean, the odds are not in your favor. The average book that's being published right now sells less than 200 copies a year and less than 1,000 copies over its lifetime. A book, any book that's published today, has less than a 1% chance of ever being stocked in an average bookstore. Less than 1% chance of being stocked in a bookstore. I mean, that's a big deal to have a book show up in a bookstore. Now, what do I do? And then I want to give you some encouragement. When I make a projection for my finances for the upcoming year, I have books in there. I have books at the very center of the diagram that I build for how I'm going to generate income. And the projection that I attach to my books for financial income is zero because it's so insignificant. But with that being said, that is the core of what I do because the books that I get out there then do introduce people to the ways that I do make money. Product sales. I mean, we develop those into seminars, other kind of things, you know, eBooks, we develop courses, speaking opportunities. Sure. Affiliate commissions. Absolutely. Coaching that we do. Sure. Live events. Yes. Membership sites, you know, like the Eagles community. Those are all based on the concepts in my books. But those are other things that I've developed. Now, you can do the same thing, Heidi. You mentioned Aaron Kerr. I mean, Aaron, has, he has a course. It's really, really cool course on how to take advantage of things that are in the public domain. And you mentioned Anne of Green Gables. That's what he's done. He's taken things like Anne of Green Gables that are in the public domain, meaning there's no current copyright on those, compile those, put them together, and then release them on Amazon. And he's done re remarkably well with doing some things like that. But you also mentioned that you are now starting a blog. That's a reasonable way to start making money with your writing. But here's how you do it. In your blog, if you write in a particular industry, you know, you could write about homeschooling moms, I don't know, whatever industry you're interested, you could write about that. And then have in your blog connections to sources, resources that somebody may click on. So they may want a unique backpack for their kids 
to take lunch and supplies with them when they go, you know, on a nature hike or whatever. So whatever you have that, and that's an affiliate link where you get a small commission if somebody clicks through and purchases that product. I mean, I know a lady who is doing that right now. We were just having a conversation. You know, she's doing that right now. And she generates four or $500 from affiliate commission because in her blog, she references companies that have products that people may go buy. So there's ways to do that. So you can kind of stair step up to this, but you need to have a really robust business model if you want to generate income. You can't just write and expect to get paid for that. I mean, I've written for major magazines. Boom. You know, I, what I look for is the byline where it sends people back to our website where then they find ways to spend money with us. Well, hey, I hope that's not discouraging. I mean, I know lots of you listening want to be writers and I encourage that, but I also want to be the voice of reason in this. I don't want you just to rush out there and thinking, okay, I'm going to write a book and then I'm going to sit back and sit by the mailbox every day and wait for those big royalty checks to come in. You're going to be very, very disappointed because chances of that happening are infinitesimally small. And I, I also cringe when there's so many organizations out there right now who are encouraging everybody to write a book. Frankly, I think it's a waste of trees for the most part. I don't think everybody ought to write a book. If you want to write, write not because you're a good writer, right? Because you have a message you can't keep inside yourself. All right, I'll quit my rant here and move on. Incidentally, the music, there was a break for me to typically remind you these are questions from real life listeners just like you. I'd um, love to hear your questions, your success stories, your suggestions of resources for other listeners. Just send those in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, you can leave a, an audio message if you want to. Sometimes you do that. But um, you can just simply shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. Now, just a couple other things here, and we're going to wrap up. We sent out an email recently, and it was like, you know, you can't su- expect to be successful in business unless you do these six things. It was something like that. So I had questions in there, six questions to ask yourself, get your business off the ground. Is this business connected to your purpose and calling? What are the demographics of your market? What are your business's six strengths? What are your business's greatest challenges? What's the structure of your business? How are you going to get the word out about your business? Things like that. And we said there, if you are thinking about a business, you know, just let us know. We'll give us some ideas. Well, we got a, obviously a bunch of bunch of feedback on that. We're trying to give people resources. Just a couple here that I want to mention. Justin says, I've been thinking about doing a lawn care business. I need a good work truck and I need help, support, and getting it started. That's one of the most straightforward businesses I can imagine, Justin. I mean, I love that. It's very simply done. You can go to Home Depot this afternoon, you know, get a lawnmower, get a little trailer behind your car. Boom, you don't even need a good work truck. You can just do it like that if you want to. If you want to get a good work truck, Golly, go find a $3,000 work truck. Start like that. You know, start small. Don't go out and get a small business loan for a business like that and obligate yourself to debt. That being said, then because it's easy to get into, there's also a lot of competition. I mean, there's a whole lot of people doing lawn care business. So look for what is your distinct advantage? What's your, what we call your USP? What's your unique selling proposition? What is it you're going to do that makes you stand out from all the other people offering the same thing? I mean, our, our long-term friendship 
with our yard care guy up in Tennessee. He's been doing our work for over 20 years. And uh, I've worked with him over the years, many, many times to help him explore into new areas of his business because he did just what you're talking about. He spent $600 on a truck when he first started out and started doing yard care work. Well, after a few years, he realized, wow, everybody's doing this. You know, how can I grow, expand? I said, look for ways to go deeper with your current customers rather than going to get more customers for a very small margin business. Go deeper with people where you, who you already have a trusted relationship with. So he started doing stamped concrete sidewalks, you know, gazebos, water features. He's done all kinds of things for me and a whole lot of other people. Or he's had customers where he was just mowing their yard and then they turned into a $100,000 project that he did for them because they did trust him and it moved, he moved into those other things. So you can do that. Uh, it's not complicated to get started, but immediately start to look for what makes you stand out in that business. Well, we got a note here from Steve who says, uh, thanks for your experience and practical advice. I've been thinking for some time about a side business in which I would provide a service for people who have inherited or been given items that they don't have a use for, but feel some attachment to and don't want to get rid of them. I would create a custom way to display the item or turn the items into something useful. For example, granddad's golf bag and clubs could become the base for a custom floor lamp. God, that's a cool idea. Aunt Flo's thimble connection collection could be housed in a custom wall-mounted shadow box, etc. Besides these customer-oriented or ordered creations, I would also make decorative and or functional items out of antique and vintage materials and objects. The name for this business would be Addicts and Artifacts and could be marketed, distributed via Facebook, Marketplace, Etsy, and so on. Um, so, Stephen says, I watched your Cook and Squat video message earlier today. It prompted me to think how I can test the business concept above, see if it might be of value. Thanks again for all your encouragement and for modeling what you teach. Well, thanks for your notes, Stephen. Um, I like what you are proposing here, but I also have some concerns about it. It takes a whole lot for you to find a person who is a prospect, spend the time with them to describe what it is you're doing, get their trust and rapport for one project and one project only. If you take granddad's golf bag and clubs and they become the base for a custom forum, I mean, that's a really precious idea, very sentimental, and I can see that really having a lot of value. But I'm afraid that it'll take you more time to sell the idea than what you can profit from actually doing it. And that's the challenge I see with it. I don't see any way to have a repetition of it unless you are going to garage sales and you buy 30 golf bags and clubs and you turn them all into four lamps. Now there they wouldn't have the unique value for people individually because they're just then kind of a unique idea for creating a four lamp. So you can charge a little more because it's connected to one person. But at the same time, I don't think people are going to pay a thousand dollars for a floor lamp that they could get something comparable for a hundred dollars. So I, I, I can't quite see how this would be a sustainable business. It's going to be start, stop, start, stop one project at a time. And I'm, I have trouble seeing how it could really build any kind of momentum. Now that being said, 
take what you've got and just expand on it. Take that as one idea, start to build on that, and then see what you can build around that. You know, come up with 20 other ideas that may even have some of the same components of what you're talking about here. Take this idea and just expand on it. What is it you do? I was just, you know, I was just gifted for Father's Day from my son, Kevin. It's, it's called StoryWorth, where every Monday he sends me a question and I write about that and it's automatically compiled through this company, StoryWorth, automatically compiled through there. I can include pictures or anything I want to. And then after a year, they put the whole thing into a book. That's kind of along the line, now that I think about it, with what you're talking about here. But that's something that C will run on its own. They can promote that because it's a system in place, and they can have 5,000 people take advantage of that today, and they can do that. It's workable. So it's a similar idea, and that's what I want you to do with what you've got. Take your idea, expand on it, stretch that, and then come up with something where you say, aha, this is the application that really is going to work for me. Well, hey, we're going to wrap it up right here. Again, I'm always delighted to get your questions. Again, send those in to askdan at 48days.com. We had a whole lot happening in the Eagles community. You can always check that out at 48dayseagles.com. Anyway, just thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being the thinkers that you are. Thanks for embracing the unique personality that you have, knowing that you can be successful no matter what that is. If you're shy and introverted, congratulations. Let's rock and roll with that. And hey, more than anything, thanks for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. See you next week. moving too fast why not soothe tired muscles in the lava sauna enjoy some bubble therapy in the hot springs garden purify body and mind in the salt steam room swim by starlight in the outdoor pool surround yourself with nature and reach peak relaxation in the forest garden aquasana longford forest indulge yourself with a spa day or spa break at our award-winning destination spa visit aquasana.ie Is your business a leader in sustainability? Have your efforts recognised at Ireland's leading sustainability awards, the PwC Business Post Sustainable Business Awards. The entry deadline has now been extended to February 2nd, and you can enter now at sustainablebusinessawards.ie. Brought to you by the Business Post and PwC.